All right. <clears throat> so we're going to continue um, our sermon series on John. And so I'm going to be reading from John 7, uh, verses 10 through 31. It's printed in your bulletins. I'm going to read it aloud and ask that you follow along. <clears throat> but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority what seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If, one, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And there he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So, there were, so they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, John Mark. If you want to know me, you got to know my family. If you want to know my family, you got to know how it started, right? So I'm going to tell you the story that started in the family, my Anderson family. Um, it was 2007, and my um, jaw was in a bit of a rough spot, so I went on a spring break trip all across the country. One of the places that I went was Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where my younger sister went to school. So I went to the University of, the University of Alabama, where my sister was, and I was like, hey, Barrett, can I, you know, how do I stay with you? She said, well, you can't stay in my dorm. It's an all-girl dorm. Okay, how can I? She's like, I'll set you up with a guy friend. So she sets me up with this guy friend who I'm, I've known for like five minutes. I met him the first time I was in Tuscaloosa, but I was like, whatever. Uh, 
I'm a year and a half out of college. It's great to be back in a college town. So I go to this guy friend of my sister's and um, I get to his house, unload the stuff. He's like, hey, we're gonna go uh, to a friend's house. Great, love, that's great. So I get out of the car when we get to his friend's house and I literally had the thought, maybe I'll meet my wife tonight. So I walk in the door, open the door, and directly in front of me is Kimberly. She's in the back, okay? And so I, I, I'm like, all these people are coming. There's Kimberly and maybe four or five others. So I'm just, just a lot going on at one time. And so I introduce myself to Kimberly and then the, the few others, then I sit down. And Kimberly's sitting literally like kind of looking directly at me, and I'll never forget this. She looks at me and she goes, who are you? <laughs> So if, you, if she was to tell this side of the story, she, she was saying, she, she, I, these are her words quoted from her, so I, I, it couldn't really if I misquote you. She said, that night I thought maybe I'll get ready to go out on the town and you know, look nice and you know, present myself, but I've met every guy in Tuscaloosa. I know everyone here. I'm just gonna just wear my chacos and just, just be with friends like I am. And so when I walk in the door, she's like, are you kidding me? Who is this guy I've not seen before? I mean, she was so just caught off guard by my handsomeness and like <laughs> just profound characteristics that just caught her off guard. Have you ever asked the question of who are you? Who are you to the people that you encounter? People that just literally the characteristics just jump off whoa, this is a significant person. And certainly as we come to the text today, this is exactly how the people encountered Jesus. I mean, Jesus is just jumping out to them. You cannot read the text that we just read without just being confronted with significant characteristics of who Jesus is. Really, the question is, who is this guy? It's not who are you, it's who is this guy, using that great sassy language of Kimberly. And that's what we're gonna look at today. Now, before we jump in and look at who Jesus is, I, I really wanna kinda set the table because I think a lot of us in this room, and, and I know most of you, and I can see you, and um, I don't know everyone online, but I know most of you, and most of you have been, had an encounter with Jesus, or you're familiar with Jesus, or you like Jesus. But have you ever asked yourself the question, who is this guy? Like, who is Jesus? Not the Jesus that the culture presents to you, not the Jesus that your parents told you about in Sunday school, which is great, I'm not knocking on that, but have you asked the question of Jesus, who is this guy? Do not settle, I'm gonna tell you this, right, do not settle for just an assumption that the culture gives or that someone else. You need to answer this question and see who Jesus is as he's presented in scripture. Because I have found that so many people have no clue who Jesus is even though they think they know who he is. So this morning we're gonna just study the characteristics, four characteristics of Jesus from John 7 so we might know who this guy is. And in knowing him, might follow him. So who is Jesus? Four characteristics of Jesus that we're gonna look at, four. He's profound, he's provocative, he's polarizing, he's protected. Four characteristics of Jesus that we might know him. He's profound, he's provocative, polarizing, and protected. Let's look at these characteristics that we might know him. Jesus, from the very beginning of this text, particularly from verse 15, 
we see that Jesus is incredibly profound. Jesus had come into Jerusalem on the Feast of Booth, the most popular of all Jewish festivals, and he enters into the most religious place of all Jerusalem, the temple, and there he begins to teach. And when he teaches, the people are amazed at what they were hearing. Verse 15 says this, they, they say, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Now what they're trying to get at in this is that he's not quoting the great philosophers of the day. He's not quoting the great Jewish scholars of that pre- period of time. Jesus is speaking truth, and they don't know what to do with this. He's profound. He is incredibly profound. And this is a legitimate question of the character of Jesus. How is it that Jesus is able to teach with so much profoundness without learning? Whether you believe it or not, the Bible says, or right here, our words say that Jesus is speaking the words of God, that he is God himself. He speaks not from authority of different scholars. He speaks from the authority of God. And this is what we, whether you believe that or not, as you look at the teachings of Jesus, you have to wrestle with the reality that Jesus himself is incredibly profound. And we don't know what he was teaching in here, but we know from scripture that indeed he was profound. Of all the texts that we know of, of Jesus' teaching, really there's, there's a few that jump to my mind, but just take the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most profound and significant writings or teachings to have ever lived in human speaking. So when you pray, how do you pray? Well, we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where does that come from? From Jesus himself. What about blessed are the peacemakers? Oh, that's from the Beatitudes of that sermon. Jesus' teachings are profound. Or how about the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have do, do unto yourself. Where does that come from? Jesus himself. One of the primary characteristics of Jesus as we encounter him in scripture is that he is profound and have you ever interacted with Jesus and just been dumbfounded just what am I reading the 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 teachings of Jesus are like coming alive and you're going this is some of the most profound stuff I've ever witnessed I would say to you if you've never encountered the profound teachings of Jesus you've never really truly studied the profound teachings of Jesus When you encounter the profound teachings of Jesus, you will be dumbfounded. Now, this is a little different, but I remember encountering, um, I I hang out with Gregory on Thursdays, and we were talking about when I discovered the library, like the library, like it was was when I was a junior in college. I was like, wow, the library, (laughs) this is amazing. There's all these books that you can learn stuff from, all these profound sayings. I know, this is embarrassing, I know that. (laughs) I understand, I understand. But you see, I had encountered profound teachings at that time. And when I encountered profound teachings, I was like, I gotta get more, I gotta learn more. I gotta go. You can get books, did you know you can get a books for free and you can walk out and they don't, they don't take you to jail. This is what happens when we encounter profound teachings. We are hungry for more. And we go and we seek it out with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If this is something that has never happened for you with Jesus' teachings, then, then you've not either studied it well enough, asked enough questions, whatever it might be. But when Jesus teaches, he teaches so profoundly 
that even those that don't trust him or believe him say, well, that's pretty significant. That's profound. Because Jesus is profound. And that's one of the characteristics that our text shows us today. Who is this guy? He's profound. Do you know the profound teachings of Jesus? Do you know them? Do not settle for, for just, oh, I don't know the profound teachings of Jesus. Ask, humble yourself. Ask me. Ask a friend. Read books. Listen to podcasts to consider the profound teachings of Jesus. Jesus is profound. That's who this guy is. But he's not only profound. Secondly, we can see that he's provocative. He's provocative. He's not only profound, but he's provocative. This guy is provocative. In, uh, right after Jesus um, interacts with these people about how he's teaching with such profoundness, he says to them in a very provocative way, verse 19, has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? I mean, that is provocative. He's talking to these Jews who love the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the law that was given to Moses as he's entering out of or leaving Egypt and entering into the promised land. And these Jews wanted to keep it with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mind you, they're in the temple. And Jesus is looking at these Jews, and he's like, none of you keeps the law. I mean, that's like dropping bombs on these people. And they are just like, whoa. He's incredibly provocative. But he's not even done. Well, well let me say this. What happens when, when, when he drops this bomb on them? Verse 20, what do they, th what do they say to him? You've got a demon. You're possessed by a demon. They, they, they saw his provocation and they followed it up with provocation of their own. You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? And then he goes, oh, I'm not done. Verse 21, he says, I did one work and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision and you circumcise on the man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry, angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment so what jesus is referring to in this passage is what, uh, something that took place uh, a little while before this we study this in john chapter 5 when jesus heals a man he says get up take up your mat and follow after me and so the man gets healed on the sabbath and, and the jews just lose their mind because he healed on the sabbath and he starts to call them out for the inconsistencies of their law but he is going into the hornet's nest, the temple, and then he is just poking a stick and pointing the inconsistencies out in their own life. What's the point of this? Jesus is going to provoke you, and he's gonna provoke me. When we encounter the real Jesus, we are going to be provoked by Jesus. This is hard for our generation. He's going to offend you. And you have to make the decision, am I going to allow this offense to change me and to reveal something to me? Or am I going to push Jesus away? Because when Jesus comes, he's going to provoke. Do you know the real Jesus? Did you hear the story from the late 70s about the Elvis, Elvis Presley impersonation contest in a restaurant in Memphis? I just heard this story this week. It was, it was awesome. So it's this, this, this restaurant in Memphis that he used to go to before he was really famous, and they took care of him, and, and, and so you know, it just became synonymous with Elvis Presley. And so as a way to honor him, 
they decided in the late 70s, while Elvis was still alive, to hold this, imperson- this Elvis Presley impersonation contest, and they had fun uh, with it. And so all these people came from all over the place, dressed up as Elvis, and they were going to sing, do karaoke as Elvis. And Elvis Presley decides to slide in the back of the room while this is taking place. And he's kind of incognito. And in my mind, as I'm, as I'm hearing this story, and now I'm telling it, you know, no one can know because everyone looks like Elvis in the same room. So he's just like, I'm just, he's a lemming, right? He's like, he's Elvis. But Elvis, as the night is ending, Elvis gets up. And he gets up and he sings, Love Me Tender. It's the last one. And mind you, this is a contest. Who's the best Elvis impersonator, okay? And so after he sings, Love Me Tender, he sits down and they take a vote. And Elvis Presley finished third in the impersonation <laughs> contest. The people who loved Elvis had no clue who Elvis even was. I think it's a profound illustration of the church. Do we know who Jesus is? One of the ways we know who Jesus is is that he's going to provoke you and me. If Jesus doesn't provoke you, it's an impersonation of Jesus. If Jesus doesn't offend you, it's an impersonation. And so often in the church, we just have this easygoing Jesus who's just love, 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 our idea of love. Indeed, he is love, but it's just this, he's never gonna offend you. That's not true. Jesus provokes, and he provokes for good reason. Do you know this, Jesus? My friends, do not be uh, offended when, when the word of God through Jesus, his profound teachings, begins to press on you and reveal the truth of who you are. This indeed is the Lord. He provokes. Who is this guy? Friends, he's profound. He provokes. And then thirdly, he's polarizing. Jesus is polarizing. And we see this in our text. There's two occasions in which Jesus is incredibly polarizing. Verse 12, it says, there was much muttering about Jesus among the people. Some said, He's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Verse 30 and 31, it says, some were seeking to arrest him, and some believed him. He's polarizing. He literally gets into the temple, and he splits the people. I don't know if it's 50-50, but let's just go with that. Some believe, some don't. It's polarizing. You know, the reality of this this polarization is that Jesus doesn't provide people much room in the middle, does he? There's not much, "Mm, he seems like a pretty nice guy. You know that quote from Tommy Boy when Zelensky's is trying to take over Tommy Boy's company and he looks at the guy, he's like, "Mm, he seems like a pretty nice guy. (laughs) Jesus does not allow us to just be like, "Mm, he's okay. No, when Jesus walks into the room, when Jesus is encountered, it is going to polarize the room. And this can be very hard for us Christians, especially for those of us that think, Jesus, I believe Jesus, he's good. But what it does for us when it polarizes the room is we allow the room to then influence us. And the world begins to influence us. Maybe, maybe he's not really good. And Oh, I don't like this. And this is a phenomenon that's taking place in our society right now is that, 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 that there's so, well, number one, there's so many people in the middle, but then the people in the church are being influenced by the world and, and, and just taking people away. 
No, Jesus is going to be polar. And we should expect people to not like Jesus, and that should be okay. It should be okay. He's going to be provocative. He's going to offend. And we as Christians must be okay with that. So don't feel like, oh, Jesus, oh, he's not popular anymore. Oh, I don't know if I can follow him. No, he's going to be polarizing. Because when he comes up and when he shows up, being profound and provocative as he is, he's going to split the room. And the question for you is, what side of the room are you going to be on? Not, are you in the messy middle? But what side of the room are you going to be on? Will you believe or will you seek to arrest him? Will you think he's trying to drive people astray or will you claim for him to be good? You must make the choice what side you're on because this is what he does. He's polarizing. He's polarizing. So who is this guy? He's profound. He's provocative. He's polarizing. And lastly, he's protected. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus' profound teaching and his provoking had polarized this group of people to the point that they thought it better that he was in prison rather than free, better dead than alive. But interestingly enough, they could not enact their will and lay a hand on Jesus. They couldn't touch him. And the, and, the, and the scripture says they couldn't touch him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus here is protected. This is, this is weird. This is weird. And we can kind of logically think about it. Oh, the writer, the gospel writer is, is, is saying this in hindsight. Like, oh, they just like threatened to do this. But I don't think that that's the case. Because John 7 says this, John 8 says this, and then other gospel writers talk about this as well. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to throw him over the cliff because of the things that he was saying. But something didn't allow those people to touch him. It, he was protected. And that phrase, because his hour had not yet come, is the clue to understanding the nature of how he was protected. His hour had not yet come. What is this hour? We have seen this time and time again in the book of John, but the hour that is referred to in this, his time, is the time in which Jesus would be arrested, crucified, killed, and then resurrected. It was the time when the hands of the people would indeed be put on Jesus, and then he would be tried. But that time had not yet come in this moment. There was still work for Jesus to be done. There was still a protection over him. But that protection would eventually dissipate. It would go away, but for good reason. Because it was the will of God at that point to allow him to be arrested. And why? Why was he protected for a time and then not protected at a certain point? Because the will of God, the purpose of Jesus' life was found in that hour. In his giving of his life for our lives. And in his conquering the grave through his resurrection. Jesus is protected for a time. This is a characteristic we see of him, but there's a time when he's not. And friends, in that time, we find the hope for all of us. 
For in Jesus' life being given for us on the cross, this is where we find redemption, freedom from our sin. The very sin that Jesus himself pokes at us and reveals through his teaching, his profound teaching reveals our sin and shows us that we have fallen short of the glory of God and that without adhering to the law, we will not be in relationship with God. But in the moment of the cross where Jesus gives his life for ours, his perfect life for our unperfect life, there is an atonement, a sacrificial atonement on our behalf. He gave himself for us there, thus bringing us redemption from our sin, freedom from our sin, freedom from the curse of that sin, freedom from from the power of that sin, freedom from the penalty of that sin. Jesus took all of that on himself in that hour so that we might be protected. And of course, in that hour also includes his resurrection. Yes, he died, but death was nothing to Jesus, for he was greater. And in that hour, he conquered death, thus redeeming us from death. Jesus was protected for a time, but then he wasn't. And when he wasn't, he did it that he might protect us. The giving of his life, and the resurrecting of the grave. My friends, do you know the hope of Jesus' hour? If you know the hope of Jesus' hour, you've encountered the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus, who is he? He's profound. He's provocative. He's polarizing. And he was protected until a certain time that he might protect you, though. I want you to know this Jesus. I want you to imagine sitting here right now, just like Kimberly sat in that chair when I walked in, and you see Jesus, all that we've encountered in this text. Who is this guy? Remember those characteristics. Take them to heart and be changed. Let me pray. Jesus, I give thanks to you for revealing yourself to us. And who you revealed is not necessarily who we'd expect, but it is so much better than what we'd expect. Lord, we give thanks to you that you are willing to speak truth to us, but you are willing to speak truth in such a profound way that it captures our imagination, it captures our reasoning, it captures our whole life. And Lord, yes, it polarizes the room. It makes it hard sometimes to live in this world and follow after you. But when we understand who you are, what it is you've done, it's okay. Would you help us as we engage in this world and encounter this world to hold firm and to our faith, to trust you, to look at you. When we think, who is this guy? We think, he's my savior. May that be the heart and cry of all my friends in this room including my own.